0: Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. We're back. We took a week off, but we're back now. I'm your co-host, Sidan. And I'm Jamie. And our music is by our friend Jordan. I did it. I got it right again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we took a week off, uh, mostly because of laziness, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, it was half term, technically, I guess, for us. You know, we're allowed to take a week off. What do you want? Yeah, yeah I wow. had
1: um, I had a couple of weeks off from Praxis Cast, so...
0: Yeah, exactly. So, peace at home. Fuck that shit, you know. Like, I, 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 took, I'm ta- I took, like, weeks off from writing any, any kind of content. I'm, just, I'm having to rush my YouTube videos now. My next YouTube video is going to be a fucking pain, because I've got to make a cocktail during it. And I got sent this video of some, uh, I assume she's Northern Irish woman, making the most insane fucking cocktail I've ever seen on TikTok. Right. And, and so now I'm like, well, I can't even fucking, and it's the exact colour of cocktail I want to make as well, because I'm doing a whole <laughs> bit about ecofascism and it being a cocktail that will fucking knock you on your ass. It's the same colour, it's free ingredients, and I bet it tastes fucking better than what I'm going to make. So now I'm just, like, incredibly pissed off about it.
1: Have you seen that, um, that video, well, it's a TikTok of a guy reacting to an old video of a woman making an old-fashioned?
0: Oh no, that's going to be it, really good.
1: It's like, Apparently, the the woman was a professional bartender.
0: Uh-huh.
1: and someone hired her to come in and make like a bunch of how to make cocktail videos for some website back in like the the fucking dot com era or something, I don't mm-hmm. know. But they just didn't have like any of the right stuff, um, or anything prepared, and so they were just like, "Well, just do the best you can." And so she's just making the most like absurd fucking like drink you've ever seen. And it's, like, absolutely ruining this guy's life as he's watching it. It's great.
0: Oh, brilliant. I'm glad the guy's life got ruined by it, to be fair. That's (laughs) that's pretty good. Because I was, like, thinking, old-fashioned, like, yeah, I don't even particularly like an old-fashioned, but it's easy to make. It's, like, 30 seconds to make one, really. I mean, to actually put the ingredients in, you have to stir it a bunch, which is fucking annoying. It's a lot lot of fucking stirring for a drink that's really not very good. Like, if I'm going to be honest. It's not my thing, anyway.
1: Yeah, I don't drink anymore, so I yeah. was never a big cocktails guy. Yeah, oh. I
0: just I got into them in the later bit of the pandemic because I was fucking bored. Yeah. I, obviously, I also worked in a bar, so like I don't know, like you know, so. Hi. Yeah. I
1: had a I had an alcohol pop era in the nineties.
0: <laughs> Didn't everyone? Isn't that? Is it that everyone I know who was alive in the nineties and old enough to drink alcohol which is like eleven? Yeah. Were, were like had a fucking alcohol pop era. <laughs> Like that reminds me of that of that fucking. A mate of mine used to really like uh, that that film. Not it's not um, it's the one about the player the, the like foreign player who plays for Newcastle or some shit, and he gets taken out to like a British club, and he's like eighteen or seventeen or something like that in the film, and he's a bit confused about being taken to a club. he's like I don't know how do you how old are you to how old do you have to be to drink in England, and the other players at the club go look at him really confused are English, and they go twelve. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. That's just how it is. Oh but it yeah, was honestly
1: a late start in some parts of Newcastle.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Like what was my one well, my start was quite late. I was fourteen. That's a pretty late start for me, really. Yeah. Yeah, although although the first time I drank, and I suppose this isn't the topic of the big event in the middle of the decade. In tech, it's, there was that fucking post that was like a uh, forty seconds into the podcast episode. Right, let's get right into the topic, and yeah. I'm gonna live and die by that now. <laughs> so, so the first time I drank, uh, a mate of mine is uh yeah, he and I sort of fell out when we sort of turned were old enough to legally purchase alcohol. Funnily, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, weird um, how that happens. Yeah, weird. Yeah, because you can actually get, like, you can actually hang out with mates you want to hang out with, as opposed to the mates who can get booze. Anyway, it's not important. But me and him, uh, we're 14, there's, you know, like, one of them dipshit carnivals that come by to every sort of medium, large town in the UK. They do, like, a yeah. fucking tour of them. We had one is of them not in Reading. Was it,
1: was it the Goose Green?
0: No, 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 this is in Reading, so I'm 14, remember, right. this is in Reading. Right. So this is before I even knew Nottingham was a real place, and not just a made-up fantasy place for Robin Hood. Yeah. Right, so, so the
1: Reading Festival then.
0: No, no, although I did go, they, they, you know, there are Reading Festival stories to be told, but maybe this is not one of them. But it's <laughs> actually, it was actually in a park, in Red, if you're from Reading you'll know it, it's Palm Park. Uh, it, it's it's kind of shit, but it's where I, when I went to Reading last, it's where I, went and, where I went to eat my Mr. Cod fried chicken wings. Uh, if, if it, if people who know, know what, what yeah. I mean by that. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, they, were, they were having these carnival things in Palmer Park, and my mate had bought one of them. You know, like, uh, you know, those, like, not like a small bottle of vodka, but like the medium small, the like, f- uh, f- like 350 mil. Yeah. You know, like a hand, the one that you can hold in your hand. And, they were just, and we were meeting up with like two the hip, girls. The hip
1: flask sized one. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And we were meeting up with two girls, you know, 14 year olds, whatever, you know, we're being dipshits about it. Uh, hand me the vodka. I just fully have never drank, well, I drank like some beer. You yeah, know, like family thing, whatever. I just fully like take a massive slug of the vodka, just uh, like almost half of the fucking thing. <laughs> I imagine.
1: I imagine you thought you were gonna die.
0: <laughs> no, I was like. The thing is, everyone was like super. It was really like peak fourteen-year-old moment where everyone was super impressed by it. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, that was fucking horrible. Is that what drinking is? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't, much. I didn't cough. I didn't wince or anything. Because I, I sort of like, I sort of knew from pop culture that's not what you're meant to do. Aye. So I just sort of like held it in, and I was like, "All right, all right, we're gonna." And I got, I, I was really unwell <laughs> for the rest of the <laughs> night. I didn't think I was gonna die, but I did have this general sense of unease about me <laughs> that I don't think worked well with my, with the. I was supposed to be like wingman my mate and talking to, yeah. you know, my mate's the girl you wanted to date's uh, friend, and you know, I think I fucked that up quite. Badly from that moment. <laughs> oh, no, actually, to be fair, I, if I'm remembering right, I did end up dating her for a while. So, you know, who's
1: the same? Swings and roundabouts.
0: Yeah. Like, later on. Like, two years later. <laughs> so, clearly didn't remember the oh, voucher. She'd answer. sobered up. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, Jamie, last time we we had got to the to the second election, the second free and fair election in Turkey, yeah. 1954. Uh, the Democrat Party have won again in a shocking twist. Great. Okay. Clearly doing a fucking bang-up job. Great. Wonderful. But the problem is that the economy, uh, they end up buying too many candles, and um, <laughs> they can't... They can't find someone to fix it because it's something I kind of glossed over in the last episode, which is that importing stuff when you don't have, like, any significant economy of your own is really fucking not necessarily the best thing to do yeah. your economy. So, like, everyone got, like, radios and TVs and, you know, there's all sorts of fancy shit going on. My granddad, not the soldier, not he's, he's doing Korean War shit and presumably recovering from PTSD at this point. But the other granddad is a tailor in Istanbul, you know, politicians like going to him, he knows all the goss, I wish we could explain what a podcast is to him, so he could come on and tell <laughs> us it, but then I'd have to translate, I'm just not going to do it. It's he's also like 92, so I really don't want to bother him with this. You yeah, know? he's probably
1: got better things to do than talk to us.
0: He has. he goes to the mosque to meet his friends and stuff, like for real, that's where he meets all his mates. Yeah. who, by the way, are all in their 90s, and and they've been like mates for the best part of like 40 years. None of them have fucking died. Oh, well, Just, yeah, I think, they, I think they've got like a fucking tontine on or something. They're doing some <laughs> fucking weird shit. I don't know. Something's going on. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that like meeting up at the mosque, like with your mates, probably promotes like a healthier and longer life than meeting on fucking Twitter.
0: Oh, definitely. Well, luckily, we'll never be able to do that again. Uh, mm. So soon yeah. enough. But, keep yeah. an eye out.
1: Keep an eye out for the uh, piece at home, Orny fans.
0: Oh god, but that was something we did anyway. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not not for that reason, everyone. But yeah, I I think it's like going to be a piece at home Tumblr or some shit. I don't know. I don't know what the verdict is on where we're going or if we're going. It might just be the case that Elon Musk shits the bed so bad he has to sell it immediately. Yeah. Like who the fuck knows? And to be honest, who the fuck even cares? Like I lived through like platform death before. It's fucking fine. Something else always comes up, and everyone always learns the new way to post. There's there's a new meta, and everyone learns it. It's like being a paradox gamer, which explains why I'm so good at it. You know.
1: I I remember I remember MySpace.
0: Yeah, I remember fucking Bebo, MySpace, the old forums. Because the old forums, remember, they took ages to fucking die properly. They died yeah. slowly, and then they died suddenly, which is what I reckon is going to happen to Twitter, to be honest. It's only,
1: it, it's only a couple of years past since I stopped getting birthday emails from, like, the Civilization 2 forums or some shit.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, to be fair, they built that online infrastructure to last. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's... You can say a lot of things for the old forums, but they did... A lot of that shit was built to last. Yeah, just like some,
1: some derelict fucking, like, numbers station out in the, the like tundra somewhere that's you know it's long abandoned but the machinery's still just pumping out the, the signal yeah it's once like, a year you know, on my birthday
0: <laughs> it's like fucking the fucking voyager probe basically yeah. like it's fucking fucking ancient technology by today's stance you know for space shit not that i'm doing nerd stuff but you know still it's sends getting, a fucking signal f- f- back
1: yeah it's getting further than anything elon musk will ever build
0: well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, the fucking 1976 US have managed to fucking embarrass Elon Musk. Although, in fairness, the 1955 Soviet Union have managed to embarrass him by launching a rocket without it exploding on yeah. launch. So, I mean, to be
1: fair, if, if you'd given the Wright brothers another, like, couple of decades, they'd probably have fucked us shit up as well.
0: Yeah, but they at least got would have had one thing right, you know. But Elon Musk hasn't even done that, you know? Yeah. Anyway... We were talking about 1950s Turkey before my granddad meeting his mates at the mosque derailed us horribly. Yeah, so so let's dive right in. Let's dive right in at 12 minutes and 35 (laughs) seconds of my recording. (laughs) Oh my god, I am that fucking tweet. Anyway. (laughs) So the Democrat Party are in charge, and we mentioned a couple of things. One is that the economy is not going to work because they're going to buy too many candles, because that's effectively what importing... That's effectively what like an import-export you know, imbalance does to you. It's effectively buying candles. Because the Turkish lira... I will shock, shock every listener to, to tell them this. The Turkish lira was not a very strong currency even at that time. There, in my entire life, there have been maybe four years where the Turkish lira has been a reasonably strong currency. And those four years were because they got rid of six of the zeros on the currency. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, it's never worked Like, in my parents' lifetime the, So, four years in my lifetime In my parents' lifetime, six years You know, my parents are 61 So, yeah. it's not like that's an insignificant percentage of the time the country has existed In fact, it would be 61% next year So, go figure Now, there's that going on But there's also this other rumbling going on, which is that Cyprus, exists basically, it exists and
1: yeah. Inconsiderate of it, but
0: Well, you know I really, to be honest, I, and not to do sort of a weird sun language theory thing I do blame the Hittites for this one to be honest, <laughs> for directing its economy to be so connected to Anatolia But I mean, geographically what was it going to do? But anyway, it's because it had tin, but okay, right we're doing Bronze Age history now. I'm we, need to stop. we need to stop me while I'm ahead. Right. So back to Turkey. So Cyprus is happening in the background. Now we're going we to kind of cover... We need to cover a lot more background than what we've covered on the podcast to kind of understand what's going on here. Because we started in about, you know, late 1919, 1920 in the first episode. The thing is that this has deeper roots, quite significantly deeper roots. The events... That we're going to talk about, which I may as well name now, which is called the Istanbul pogrom in English. Which is that doesn't sound uh, good. N- no, no, no. no. Uh, the Turkish name, if people are wondering, uh, the name that it's commonly referred to in English and uh, not in English in Turkish is the events of the sixth to the seventh of September. Which uh. is certainly a cleaner way to describe the event than the Istanbul pogrom, which is what we will call it generally.
1: Yeah, nothing nothing certainly nothing bad has ever come from turkey pretending something didn't happen.
0: No, no, no 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 never never. So there is a there is a background to this. There's a couple of bits of background to this and there's one thing where I have to kind of say that we told a teeny tiny white lie on the podcast in one of our earlier episodes. Like the tiniest white lie you could ever imagine. So, the background is pretty simple. It's that in the Ottoman Empire, Greek people held a certain status, right? So there's this thing that people do, and I get why they do it, where they go, oh, actually, you know, various Islamic empires, they were very tolerant of non-Muslims, and if you compare how non-Muslims lived in, you know, the Ottoman Empire or the Umayyad Caliphate or wherever, uh, and you compare it to how, like, Muslims or non-Christians were treated in Christian kingdoms... Well, you would rather be the non Muslim in the Ottoman Empire or whatever. And that is, and part of that's because they're trying to fight back against this idea of like, you know, the Islamophobes that go like, oh, you know, they constantly behead people who aren't, you know, Muslim or whatever. Yeah. That's not true. They don't fucking do that. No one does that. Like, some batshit fringe people might do that, but you're telling me there aren't batshit fringe people in Christianity? You know, like, Christianity is specifically really intolerant of other Christians, famously, at various points. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced anyone's got a fucking clean slate here.
1: No, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely batcher elements in Christianity, and they're all on Facebook telling you about how they, they call the US Marines leathernecks because they had to wear, like, fucking BDSM collars to stop the Turks from cutting their heads off or some shit.
0: Are you fu- Is that, that can't be fucking real. <laughs> like...
1: Some, something like that. I'm sure I've seen something like that on Facebook.
0: God, I mean, maybe the U.S. military were wearing like BDSM because yeah, it, it was sexy. I don't know. It
1: was the it was the Barbary pirates, I think.
0: Hell yeah, them's my boys. Uh, yeah, people. They used, people they used to
1: history. they used to cleanly decapitate people with one blow of a scimitar, like in a video game, and so they had to wear like a leather collar.
0: Well, that's which, right like, because because people don't know this about the Barbary corsairs. They were very good at quick time events. That's yeah. why they were so good. Like no one, very few historians will acknowledge. The the Barbary Corsairs in the Ottoman Empire, they were just better at quick time events. That's why they kept winning wars.
1: Yeah. But then the US Marines came in with like posture collars on, you know? (laughs) And like fucking, that that just stopped them dead because they were just too sexy (laughs) to behead at that point.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly couldn't behead a sexy US Marine. I certainly couldn't do that. (laughs) I'm just, I'm baffled by some of the shit you see on Facebook. And I'm not going back. Elon (laughs) Musk, I don't recommend it. Elon Musk can fucking kill Twitter for all I care. I'm not going back to Facebook. You couldn't fucking pay me to do it. Yeah. Okay, although, actually, to be fair, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if you are listening, uh, I very yeah, much pay us,
1: could, pay us to do that. <laughs> I very
0: much could be paid to do that. You just have to, you just have to meet my insane number I have in my head to have to put up with these fucking people on there.
1: Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, pay us and we'll tell you that meta is shit and you should give up on it. Yeah, that's because right. clearly no one in your orbit has the balls to fucking say that to your face.
0: <laughs> I'm baffled by it, but this is yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, so so Greek people, um, in particular, hold a particular status. So the Ottoman Empire had a something called the millet system. So millet is um old Ottoman Turkish for like nation. It, it's kind of like treating them as a nation and they they essentially get specific protections yeah they have to pay like a, they for a while had to pay the jizya tax but that jizya tax was eventually replaced with uh I don't know the exact name of it but basically they could be exempted from military service if they just like you know paid a fine basically yeah you know the that I don't want to do military service tax which I, you know whatever like the because the ottoman empire the thing about the late Ottoman Empire is the majority of its population were not Turkish or Muslim, really. So, like, where's your army coming from? And it turns out yeah. it's mostly coming from fucking Serbia and places like that. Which, I'm told, ended in spectacularly good fashion. The, they're generally, you know, a significant part of culture and economic life, particularly in Istanbul. Istanbul is the center of, given that it's about the Istanbul pogroms, it's going to be the center of our focus a little bit. And so in Istanbul, they're a very important part of the city's culture and history and all of these other things in the economy. And even when Greece becomes independent in 1929, they are already, you know, they're already, you know, they're not going anywhere. This is their city as much as it is anyone else's. And, you know, the ecumenical patriarch, the head of the Greek Orthodox Church lives there and so on and so on and so on. Right.
1: There's no reason yeah.
0: for them to leave. Now, I have, this is where I kind of have to come in with the uh, we told a little white lie in one of the episodes. So, Jamie, you'll remember the population exchange yeah. wherein Turkish people who lived on the Greek islands and in some parts of Greece swapped with Greek people who lived on mainland uh, Turkey. You might have, some people who listened to that, might have been under the impression that Istanbul was considered part of mainland Turkey. Uh, no, it wasn't. Greek people in Istanbul were generally... Exempted from the population exchange, which is why there's a significant Greek population in the city. Admittedly, the population does decline as the republic rumbles on, mm-hmm. but that might have something to do with the you know Turkification projects and the you know the the wealth tax. You know, the one where if you couldn't pay it, you go to jail. Yeah. Or you don't go to jail. You go to a fucking work camp to pay off your debt and stuff like that. The Turkish state made life very uncomfortable for for Greek people who remained in Turkey uh, as a, as an ethno state will do. We kind of come to this point in the fifties, and this point in the fifties is important because at the top level, Turkey and Greece, if you just looked at the top level, right, uh between like you know Mustafa Kemal, Ismet and Jalal Jellabaya, and the various Greek monarchs whose names I don't remember because they're kings and they're pointless. They ha- and, and also various Greek prime ministers, whose names I don't remember because... Um, well, I just can't remember them off the top of my head, so sue me. But they all had quite good political relationships with each other, right? Up until 1952, you know, really, like, they have quite good relationships with each other. Personal relationships, too. Uh, the Greek king visits Turkey. He's the first Greek monarch to visit Turkey and to visit the Turkish president at the time, who's Celal Bayar. Celal Bayar goes to Greece. And remember, Greece and Turkey are now in NATO together, right?
1: Yeah.
0: This is kind of one of the the really weird things about Turkey and Greece having this antagonistic relationship later on, is that they're in the same military alliance. Neither of them can attack the other because they can't, um, because then every other NATO country has to invade them. So they're just both kind of perpetually shaking their fists at each other with their son going, shake harder, boy. You know, yeah. they're, just, they're just constantly doing that to each other. Which is, I mean, it's not good. But, I mean, it's better than an actual war happening. So who's to say whether it's, you know, whether it's yeah. good or bad. But, yeah, that, that is more or less the situation as it will evolve because we mentioned Cyprus existing. Now, Cyprus at this point, it, it has a very special status. Which is, which is independent of both Turkey and Greece, but it's also a, uh, what we would call a crown colony of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Which means that this is technically Britain's mess, interfering in the political relationship between Turkey and Greece.
1: No other country does that better.
0: No! Yeah, I mean, look, I have to be honest, I, I admire the Brits for one thing and one thing alone. It's that they are incredibly messy bitches like that that is that is just the truth of it. And so this relationship starts to shift because remember that there's a post-war atmosphere where everyone's kind of like, right, this empire shit. I don't care if you're going to secretly do neo-colonialism or lumber your colonies with debt, but at least on paper it has to look like these countries are not being governed by Britain or France or whoever, right? Yeah. Like you you at least have to like Nominally, let these countries be independent, even if you keep your hands in the pie. Aye. We just, we keep, just want keep
1: the... up the pretense.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, that's the thing. Like now, no one can know who's being exploited by who because all the companies are so international and so on. It's almost like the problem is something else. But anyway, outside the the range of the podcast, to blame capitalism for everything, I think it's well within our range to blame Britain for everything. So let's do that. This is a very, very, like, shortened understanding, sort of, like, shorthand understanding of what's going on. Britain governs Cyprus as a crown colony. Greece doesn't want Cyprus to be governed as a crown colony. Turkey doesn't want Cyprus to be governed as a crown colony necessarily, but also thinks that Britain's presence on the island affords significant protections to the Turkish people on the island. Right? Yeah. So yeah, so neither Turkey nor Greece particularly fancy the Brits being there, in part because no empires no longer, right? But also Turkey is kinda like, well, is it strictly the worst thing in the world? Now Greek Greek Cypriots and Greek and the Greek government, they they look at Cyprus and they go, This island is majority Greek. And so it's majority Greek. And there's a significant po- portion of the population on Greece who want the island to do something which in Greek is called enosis, which is union. So they right. want to unify with Greece. Turkey doesn't want Cyprus to unify with Greece. Nominally because, hey, you know, aren't there you know, Turkish Cypriot people there? Are their rights going to be guaranteed necessarily? Again, rich of Turkey to complain along these lines. Yeah. But that is nonetheless the complaint that, and it's going to be especially rich given the the series of things that might uh, we we will unfold to you here. But Britain basically panics because they they know they're wrong. Like the British government of the day, uh, I believe it will be a second Churchill government at this point. They they're like keenly aware that like the United Nations are going to rule against them. Uh, you know, there's a whole of this fucking pain in the ass going on. They don't they don't want this, right? And so they go to Turkey and say, hey, you know what would be good? You should support the ethnic Turks on Cyprus. Because then, you know, it's a both sides thing. And then we can kind of be like, oh well, what can you do? You know? Uh what are you gonna do about it? And so they're trying to damage Turkish and Greek relations with each other yes. and so the British Embassy kind of go, well what would what would piss and, and they want to bolster Turkey in this right They want because Turkey is not the, the Turkish people on the island are in a minority Aye. a significant minority, but a minority nonetheless. so they need Turkey's hand to be stronger and they need an excuse to support uh, Turkey and so Britain starts figuring out, well what can we do to cause tension? Are there any cards that, you know, Turkey can play? And so there's a British MP involved in this, would you believe? A Labour politician. uh, What a shock. John Strachey, who kind of goes, you know, uh, well, wouldn't Turkey consider using its significant Greek minority and their livelihoods and their lives as a sort of chip to play against Greece if they were going to annex Cyprus when it was independent. Which uh, is a hell of a fucking thing to suggest, just sort of hypoth—just to be talking about hypothetically, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Oh, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Isn't there a large Greek population in Turkey? It's like, yes, there is, but I don't think you should be calling attention to it right at this fucking second. It's probably not the thing to be doing. But there, But to be clear, Turkey is not innocent of this this isn't pure british interference the there are there are a series of turkish nationalist organizations that are founded the most notable of which is translating the name the cyprus's turkish association which you know is a great fucking start i suppose but they yeah. they, they all specifically protest against this particular greek minority in turkey and the ecumenical patriarch, who I will remind everyone is the head of the Greek Orthodox Church. And the thing is, there's basically in the Turkish press, there's this intensification of anti Greek positions. They're like, oh, you know, the Greek people in Turkey, they never properly support Turkish national interests, you know? They always sort of secretly in the shadows support the Greek national interest, not Turkey's national interest. Look at these others in the country. Mm, you know. The
1: more things change. Mm, mm, mm.
0: And, 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 you know, oh, you know, we allow them such liberties as to exist in this country while Greece does horrible things to ethnic Turks in, uh, in, in Greece. There were still ethnic Turks in Greece, by the way. Some Turks were exempted from it. Uh, another little white lie, but again, there you go. And they're like, oh, you know, how could this? How could this be allowed to happen? And so on and so on and so on. And the thing is, as much as I sort of go, well, you know, it's just press bullshit, right? But gotta remember, this is before like shit posters and uh, you know debunking videos and like you know just having access to a lot of information. Yeah,
1: and also, also, it's worth noting that none of that shit really makes a difference today.
0: Yeah, none of that shit makes a difference today, but just bear in mind, it makes even less difference then, because it doesn't exist. And so they get really, they really amp people up. And bear in mind that there is communal violence on the island itself, which is not helped by the amount of insanity going on in the big country directly to the north of the island, presumably not helping it. And Adnan Menderes is the prime minister uh, just in case people had forgot. His remember Turkey's economy is beginning to ail at this point. Like the the promises of liberal reform and liberalization it turns out everyone they were bullshit, complete fucking bullshit. And so to distract from the fact that Adnan Menderes bought too many candles and crashed the economy, he's now like, oh, thank fucking God, there's communal violence on Cyprus, and the press is on our side. Brilliant. I'm dramatizing here, but you can only assume that that was more or less the reaction. And so, remember that Turkey is in NATO at this point, and they're uh, they're nominally Greece's ally. Now, we need to start talking about the walk-up to the event, right? Yeah. So, the thing is, there's sort of there's two ways we can kind of talk about this. We can either talk about it as events and then go into like the the super secret fucked up stuff that went on behind the fan behind the scenes, or we can just do like behind the scenes shit and then just sort of talk about it. So we can do it either way.
1: Uh, well, what, what which way do you think gives people the the clearest picture?
0: Well, I, okay, all right. Let's talk about let's talk about what we know now and then talk about what happens in the events because this is uh this is some really fucked up shit. And I know we say that like every other episode. Yeah. But like we this mean it is this, time. this is really fucked up shit, right? So not to spoil too many events happening in the, that we'll talk about in the future of the podcast, but there is An accusation levelled at Adnan Menderes and the foreign minister of the time that they had planned the pogrom. Now, the thing is that from... So historical scholarship suggests this to us, right? Adnan Menderes pretty much gave the green light to protests against Greek people in Istanbul. Whether the foreign minister specifically knew very much about it is a little bit less clear uh, and the interior minister uh, of the of the time, uh, Namuk Gedik, he was uh, accused of involvement and he was forced after the after the riot after the pogrom excuse me after the pogrom to resign, which heavily implies that if he didn't know about it, he was being made a scapegoat out of yeah. Um, he actually uh, commits suicide before he's put on trial for this. So we, so, to, to, to a certain extent, may never entirely know. And the thing that sort of kicks off these riots is, or at least in the common telling, the thing that kicks off these riots is news that a bomb had been sent to the Turkish consulate in Thessaloniki, which uh, in Turkish is called Selanik. And that this bomb had gone off. Now, the bomb didn't go off because consulates tend to have, you know, security, right? So the bomb did not, in fact, go off. But here's the twist, for those of you who don't know. The Turkish consulate in Thessaloniki is Ataturk's childhood home. So there's an added layer of sort of of national offense to be taken here when that news hits. Now, as it turns out, um, the 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 bomb. At least it's claimed that the bomb may well have been sent or inst- or put there by a Turkish university student. A, a false flag of false flags. Yeah. Now, you know that's uh, that's not entirely you know beyond the capability of the Turkish state. And one of the things that sort of sort of a consensus position now is that, one, the Democrat Party do take the blame for the event. Um, And so the Democrat Party are generally speaking held responsible for it. But here's the other twist. There's a lot of twists in this story. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, So the other twist is that there's this little group, and actually quite a little-known group, actually, uh, who's, in Turkish, their name is Sefer Berlik, Taktik Kurulu, which is the uh, which already sounds like it's a fucking disgusting organization just in the Turkish, uh, which is called the tat, which in Turkish means the Tactical Mobilization Group. Hmm. And so, uh, what do what uh, Jamie? Have you ever heard of Operation Gladio before? Yes. Yeah. So. um for, the, for just to sort of give a brief summary of what Operation Gladio is, it's the it's the code name for the various sort of stay behind military groups that NATO organised in their member states. You know, should the worst happen and people elect the communist government or the Soviet Union show up, uh, the, the funny the thing about Operation Gladio is that the, pretty much everyone involved in it was an unreformed fascist who yeah. they had arrested after World War II, or in Turkey's case. As, you, as you'll as you hear from uh, some of the some of the names that we'll talk about in this group, uh, were some of the people we mentioned in the racism turanism trials.
1: Good, good to see they're keeping busy.
0: Yeah, the Nazi wannabe Nazi collaborators, basically. Great, fantastic. We we love to see that, and and so it's revealed in around two thousand and five that actually the the pogrom itself is. Really planned and executed by the tactical mobilization group. So, and so you might be, able, you might say, well, actually, then isn't it still the Democrat Party's fault for one, not having a grip of their own special forces in their own country? Hint, yes. Two, leaning into it super hard because, you know, it was a convenient distraction from all of their other nonsenses. Yes. And uh, three, you know, j- just generally the fact that they actually took the blame for it probably means that they were involved. And so, yeah, there you go. The Democrat Party yeah, still to they blame. Probably,
1: they probably didn't take the blame just because they were feeling generous that day.
0: Yeah, it was pretty much impossible not to take the blame. And so, there's a gentleman who uh, was uh, he was involved in Operation Gladio and was part of this group uh, called Sabri Yirimi Beshola who was actually interviewed. Uh, Yirimi Besh means 25, by the way. It's a really fucking weird name. I'm not entirely sure what that's, where that's coming from. But he was the right-hand man of the general in charge of the tactical mobilization group. And he, in an interview, called the tactical mobilization group a magnificent organization. I think that guy should get fucked, personally. Yeah, I hope they're re- they are dead, so I can say, fuck him. Just absolutely fuck this guy.
1: Won't be missed.
0: Like, will not be missed. Absolutely not. Just a fucking piece of shit all around. And so we actually come to the pogrom itself. So, part of the reason why people believe that this... Well, why people believed at the time that the Democrat Party were involved in it and why they believed the state involvement was going on wasn't just that they were like, oh, sorry about that. Oops, our bad. It was that this sounds remarkably well-organized and also involves government materials. So, so what happens is you need to distribute the various things that are going to destroy people's houses and burn them down, right? Yeah. And so they used municipal and government trucks just sort of in specific places to be like, hey, uh, here you go. Uh, here's, here's a sort of like, a, you know, a crowbar or, a, or you know, or some uh, or a petrol bomb or, some, you know, the ingredients to make a petrol bomb. It's just like, oh, no, we're not giving them a petrol bomb. We're giving them the ingredients. We're not, you know, that ain't, that ain't us, whatever they choose to do with it.
1: Yeah. They might just need that to start their car and a fire.
0: Yeah, that's right. And they actually requisitioned um, a taxis from a trade union. Actually, a, a trade union that existed at the time, which was the Drivers Association and Motor Vehicle Workers Trade Union. Catchy. But I miss I miss trade union names like that. But again, this reminds me of how uh, I got I got like a bunch of pit crew dipshits mad at me once on Twitter because I was like, "Yeah, man." Uh, sometimes trade. I was talking about. Um, why some countries didn't have independent trade unions and i was like have you seen how independent trade unions behave uh you know you would know why and they're like oh you're not supposed to give the game away tanky that you hate trade unions and i'm like (laughs) i'm like the fucking the fucking taxi drivers trade union were driving around people to do a pogrom in istanbul why do you think i don't necessarily fucking get on my knees and suck the dick of every trade union that's existed Yeah, like, come on. Like, I get that these people are 19, 20 years old, and they'll probably grow out of it. But come on, use your fucking head. Jesus Christ. And also, in Turkey, there's a trade union explicitly uh, affiliated to the fascist party. What am I meant to be in favor of that trade union? Is that is that good? Is that actually good? Or should I should I in fact not be in favor of it? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway,
1: I mean, they support ethnic cleansing, but they also support higher wages for the members. So they
0: actually don't, though. That's the fucking insane thing. it's <laughs> <laughs> The insane fucking thing. The right, the one concession I've ever heard that trade union getting is that they got prayer breaks for every single one of their workers at their at their place of work, which is fine. I don't give a shit if you want to do that at, during work hours. As far as I'm concerned, every minute you're not working is a victory over the over yeah. the fucking leeches. That run this that run the economy, but like, it's still a pretty fucking abysmal record as a trade union. It sounds that like maybe right wing trade unions are fucking terrible. Anyway, there were even other trade unions involved. Uh, there was a the textile workers union made flags for everyone, and so the so the nominal uh, issue was uh, that oh you know um, it's the Cyprus issue. We're protesting about Cyprus and about this. Uh, Bombing on this, uh, on the consulate, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the thing is, the bombing didn't happen. I just want to be very clear about that. But uh, yeah. at one o'clock, the news starts saying, Oh, there's been a bombing. It's terrible. And the, the Greeks have bombed Turk's house. How could yeah. they do this? Killed his and, ghost. And you know, bear in mind, yeah. And uh, bear in mind, a lot of people don't have radios at the time because the Democrat Party still hasn't fucking bought enough candles for that to happen. So they're like, yeah. Oh, we, we still need waiting he- on Argos. Yeah, we need to get the uh, we need to get newspapers that are aligned with the government to sort of repeat the news, repeat the fake news. This is literally fake news, by the way. I'm not just like saying that. Yeah. And and so basically, they start spreading th- this news, this fake news, and the riots begin. And there are lots of eyewitnesses accounts of of what was going on here. But to, to sort of summarise it, uh, the situation pretty much immediately gets out of control. And mobs are screaming through like significantly Greek areas of Istanbul, first your property, then your life, as an example, as some of the eyewitness accounts of the chants being chanted yeah. at this point. So you get the idea as to what's happening. And a lot of people... so. So, we don't really know how many people really died in this, to be fair, because, uh, to be honest, uh, no one bothered fucking counting, officially, if we're going to be honest about what went on here. And so, the army has to step in eventually, because it's getting beyond even the control of, you know, the nationalists at that point, so they have to bring the army in, and there's also violence in other cities as well in izmir and so on and to uh so so some people may not want to listen to this part so if you don't want to listen to this part just you know skip a tiny bit ahead because it's really grim but there are accounts that i that for the record i believe because eyewitness accounts are valid that um that men and women were raped and they were forced to convert to islam which by the way you're not meant to fucking do yeah, and uh, a Turkish writer even as an eyewitness uh, says that he saw a priest be forced to be forced to be circumcised by the mob uh, mm. and in fact this was con- as you might, be, you might be surprised that this was conducted in such a fucking apeshit fucking fashion that a lot of people died after the procedure because a angry mob of nationalists is not exactly the people who are going to conduct yeah. A circumcision very well, and also there are accounts of priests getting scalped, burned, women raped. Uh, I can give you the, um, I can give you the account of the Turkish writer Aziz Nesin, and so uh, a man who was fearf- fearful of being beaten, lynched, or cut into pieces would try would imply and try to prove that he was both a Turk and a Muslim. Pull it out and let us see. They would reply. The poor man would peel off his trousers and show his Muslimness and Turkishness. And what was the proof? That he had been circumcised. If the man was circumcised, he was saved. If not, he was doomed. Indeed, having lied, he could not be saved from a beating. For one of those aggressive young men would draw his knife and circumcise him in the middle of the street amid the chaos. The difference of two or three centimeters does not justify such a commotion. That night, many men shouting and screaming were Islamized forcefully by the cruel knife. Among those circumcised was also a priest. If you want there's the account, I don't know if we'll keep that in, but that is that is an eyewitness account of what was going on. Okay, we're back. So yeah, that was a quote from a a Turkish uh, uh, I think he was a journalist is, I, yeah, uh, he was a writer, he was a writer, a Turkish writer. so that gives yeah. you an idea of what's going on now, to dis- so there was damage, the, the basically the material damage, it feels a little on the low side. Given the scale of the sort of riots described, but the yeah. government estimate of the amount of damage is 69.5 million Turkish lira or 24.8 million US dollars. Uh, so, like, but Britain estimated it to be about 100 million quid, which is about 200 million US dollars. Uh, it, it basically the estimate, the estimates of people who are not the Turkish government. Uh, or not the Greek government either, tends to be around the $200 million mark. U.S. dollar. Old school U.S. dollar. Uh, The Turkish government only paid 60 million lira uh, back to people, which means they didn't even pay back the full amount they estimated, by the way. Aye. And and you can kind of tell it was a shortfall, because it didn't cover 20% of the claims that had been submitted, that in fact... You know, people had damaged their property. It was mostly businesses, uh, homes, and such. So it was about four thousand homes, a thousand businesses, about a hundred churches, twenty-six schools, twenty-five schools, two monasteries, and uh, famously, a synagogue got attacked. Which, because of course, there had to be a spillover into that as well. Yeah, uh, th- there's a lot of eyewitness accounts of this, and. To be honest, they are reasonably horrifying, but the one kind of interesting eyewitness was actually the uh, the James Bond novelist Ian Fleming was an eyewitness uh, who were, who was an MI six agent at the time, just in Istanbul. You know, um, just, he just hanging published... out. Well, th- th- this is one of those things where I don't know. Maybe we should do a bonus episode about From Russia Would Love uh, the. Um... The film. I'm not going to read the fucking book I guess fuck, fuck reading books yeah. uh, ever again. But yeah, there was a lot of like a lot of spy shit was going on in Istanbul at the time. This is not it's not like startling to me the idea that there's a lot of spy nonsense going on in Istanbul at the time. A lot of uh, eyewitness accounts are released. Uh, so yeah, I, they, you can go. You're free to go find them and read them. They're all suitably horrifying. We just, I just happened to pick the one that was on the Wikipedia page and I just dragged it out because I was like, yeah, that seems to cover it, to be honest. Yeah. There were also like things that happened in like Izmir as well and other cities, but more or less same pattern, right? Find Greek thing, burn Greek thing, so on, so on, right? And there's a lot of documentary evidence, uh, in particular, a lot of photographs we have of this, and there aren't many. Uh, that you could find very easily. A lot of them were actually photographed by the official photographer of the Ecumenical Patriarch, which I just find interesting that they had an official photographer, because of course they did, right?
1: Yeah,
0: makes a lot of sense. The thing is that uh, everyone's general reaction to this was, oh, dude, I am horrified by this. Even Turkey. So Turkey um, initially blamed communists for this. How did that go? Oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, they arrested what they called forty five card carrying communists now um th- this was um this was this was a this is a thing this is part of the plan for um Operation Gladio, which is to do something like this, and this is the playbook they go and they do some insane, blatantly fascist action, and because they coordinate with the government, they're like, hey. Uh, why don't we blame this on the communists now i will admit that leftists and communists generally have some what i would call flaws when it comes to dealing with nationalism and racism and things like that yeah i'm not convinced and uh, neither was someone quite surprising actually when it, it turns out that they did this right And, in fact, one of the people who, um, one of the people who actually, uh, who actually criticized the government for this is a rather surprising person, which is Isma Inonu, actually, who, notable friend of Mussolini, comes out and says, you've just arrested a bunch of innocent people because you don't want to arrest the actual people who are, um, who have caused this problem. And the communists were released because of the pressure he put on the government as opposition leader. Bear in mind, this is an opposition leader who has like 60 seats out of 600. Yeah. Fucking Keir Starmer could never and would never. And Adnan Menderes is fucking no, fuming. No, Keir-, the- Keir Starmer
1: would be on telly like, you know what I mean, refusing to comment on that, but saying there are too many Greeks in the health service or something.
0: Yeah, oh fucking Christ. But yeah, um, Menderes is fucking fuming about it and says that Inonu would never be forgiven for supporting communists and as as you'll see from the sort of dissent, future Turkish centre-rights general accusations against him th- yeah, they would not forget <laughs> that he did this um, it, it's just fascinating to me that he he would get labelled as a communist basically forever after this really and the the thing is that the Cyprus Turkish Association and stuff like that—they had members arrested, but a lot of them were released. Um, quite a, only a few were taken to court, and basically, a lot of people. Ba- basically, there was an official report done that was like, "Oh, uh, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, it was the common turn and the Communist Party who." Uh, who basically did this to sabotage NATO and make NATO look bad, as if NATO needs any fucking help doing that. But anyway, yeah. and they actually cited a piece of work by, uh, by a Turkish poet who I'm a big fan of, Nazim Hikmet, who, um, who calls on the workers of Cyprus at the time to stand against imperialism. They're like, aha, we gotcha. How is that fucking related to any of this, by the way? I don't fucking understand it, right? And... A lot of, basically everyone who was being put on trial for this, well, all of the significant, you know, organizers and such, they arrested about 5,000 people for this. But a lot of people who were probably involved in organizing this were released for uh, lack of evidence by early 1957. And, like, this is kind of an interesting thing, which is that a lot of... So so, there's a British element to this, because this is Britain's mess, partially. And so Britain basically directly implicate the Democrat Party in this. They're like, look, let's be honest, the Democrat Party's local leadership were directly involved in this, so realistically, they're the ones who probably did it. Also, they're the only political party that actually exists and has furniture. You know, because they confiscated the Republican People's Party's furniture. So, Which I suppose is quite a reasonable inference to make on his part. But the thing is, the British really wanted to like properly let Turkey have it about this, because they're like, this is fucking insane, are you kidding me? But the US comes in, and they're like, yeah, Britain, that's really interesting, but have you considered the Soviet Union, and they're a NATO country?
1: Mm, The asshole shows up.
0: Yeah, the asshole shows up, and so NATO kind of go, well, you know, um, uh, the, don't do it again. The British go, and mm. Greece really, really tries to advocate on behalf of Greek people in Turkey because, my goodness, might they need an advocate after this, right? Yeah. But uh, basically, at the UN and NATO, everyone was like, "Yeah, that's real interesting, but we're just we're just not keen on rocking the boat right now," you know. Uh, let's not let's not think about it and, and yeah, it's just and you the, know, the and,
1: noble the noble ideals of like the United Nations and NATO only apply if you've got a dickhead in the room like shouting.
0: Yeah. And the, the 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 general basically the summary of what the international attitude was towards Greece wanting to actually get to the bottom of what the fuck happened is uh just let bygones be bygones. You know, just chill. It's it's in the past. You can't change it now. Yeah,
1: mistakes like, were made, but
0: yeah, to be fair, life. yeah, to be fair, there was effectively an admission that mistakes were made because the interior minister resigned the yeah. day after, basically, not the day after, like maybe four days after, three, four days after. Yeah, he resigns three days after. So, like, there is an admission that mistakes were made. Are we going to do anything about the mistakes? Well, that would be awkward, you know. My kids go to school with his kids and, you know, it's just weird, you know. We
1: admitted the mistakes, what more do you want?
0: Yeah, exactly. And the issue of Cyprus and the decolonization there, uh, it gets dropped from the UN agenda because people kind of don't want to put, you know, pour kerosene on the fire. Fucking terrible, really. But Britain, well, Britain got what it wanted, I guess. I guess that's the most important fucking thing.
1: Yeah, isn't it always? Mm.
0: And so Turkey does pay out a bit of compensation, and so there's this kind of a longer-term issue with this, which is that the actual number of people who died, as far as we can tell, so the official number is, like, something like 20, I think. the The real number is, like, at least 37 confirmed, but also eyewitness accounts and so on and so on puts it at what I can only find described as a significant amount more. No one really wants to put an actual number on it, it seems. Whereas the uh, number of people who get hurt by it is just an astronomical number in comparison, it's like more than a thousand people. Bear in mind, these numbers seem small, but Istanbul's much smaller than it is now. Uh, it, it's 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 a small city comparatively to now, and also to you yeah know, to just consider that these numbers sound small if you think of Istanbul today, which is fucking huge. But no, this is actually significant. And the longer term issues that this causes is one that it it, it means that if anything ever happens in the future about Cyprus, wink, maybe something will happen in the future about Cyprus. People are gonna be insane about it. Basically, mm-hmm. two. The uh the non-Muslim population in Istanbul. Uh, so it had it had declined before this, right? It, it sort of people were going back to um back to Greece generally, and you know, so there was there was a sort of steady decline. It starts declining much more quick. You know, it, it just it just completely collapses, basically, until basically now, where it's virtually nothing, really. Uh, there's there's nothing of this old community left in Turkey. and so that's uh, this is one of the events that really accelerated a tendency of decline here, which it's sad in a lot of ways because, you know, we, we, it's kind of a, maybe a bit of a lib thing, but you know, the, the diversity is what makes life wonderful angle to it. Makes it very sad. Now there were trials, uh, related to this and or sort of trials that made reference to this. And we will cover these trials in specific detail in a future episode, because they're related to, uh, the end of the Menderes government, uh, Spoiler alert, it does end. And so the uh, there are trials, and these trials do make reference to it, and they do blame the government for it, or the government officials who were being tried in these trials for it. Now, obviously, we now know that it was a stay-behind, it was an Operation Gladio thing. We do yeah. now know that. That being said, I don't particularly feel bad that the, uh, that the government of the day were blamed for it, because Boy, did their party members seem heavily involved in it, and boy, did they not make a supreme effort to stop it? So, I'm not, I'm not going to feel bad about them being blamed for it, to be honest. But I am going to say that if you a lot of people go, "Oh, why do you hate NATO? Why do you, why are you anti-NATO? Why don't you want Britain or Turkey to be in NATO?" This kind of thing, mainly, really, is quite high up my fucking list of why. Yeah. Like we're gonna basically, this podcast is gonna in now that we're like firmly in the cold war going to become reasons why I think NATO are cunts. And to be quite frank, I'm not going to apologize for it. So that, that's, that's, that's the bit we're in now, the why NATO are cunts bit buckle up. Anyway, I think we're, I think we've, we've had enough of enough of this particular event. The next episode will be much more cheerful. I have a guest in mind for it. We're going to, we're going to talk about the football Cause fuck this, to be honest, um, that was that was a difficult episode to get. So, we're off to record the bonus. Speaking of things that'll be funnier than this, which could be literally anything. To be fair, I don't yeah. know why I needed to lean into lead it with that. But anything we're be,
1: except Matt Ford.
0: Anything except Matt Ford, uh, fellow Nottingham resident Matt Ford. Uh, well, no, he's just from Nottingham. Yeah, he's just from Nottingham. Uh, it, I, th- I think the South and Nottingham's flipped switched us, and I think Nottingham got the better deal. But, <laughs> but we're off to record the bonus episode. I'm going to talk about some Turkish TV shows, I think, this week. I think that's what we're going to talk about. Sure, we're going to talk about insane Turkish TV shows, including, this is going to be probably multiple episodes of this, because I don't think I'm going to be able to fit every single one into one episode. But uh, we're going to talk about one about an emperor who behaves like a cop, and goes around slapping people for drinking coffee. Yeah, that's yeah. a real TV show. Alright everyone, we'll catch you on that one. And if you wanna be on if you wanna be listening to that, you gotta get on our Patreon. It's even more important since Twitter's gonna evaporate that you get on the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. It probably just seems that way to me. Anyway, we'll catch you all on that one. See ya.
1: See ya.